That was O Lang Syne by Sanjeeb Sarkar on the sitar. Welcome to episode 180 during the darts championships as well uh, of a pint with Shawnee B. We're going to be doing our New Year Hootenanny, ringing in the New Year with you live, live for the first time on a pint with Shawnee B. Uh, the reason for the sitar opening will become apparent later. I am with the Don as ever. The Don, happy New Year. Another year gone, God ye- yeeteth. God yoinketh away. God yanketh. No, yoinketh. God yeeteth. God yanketh away. Yanked. Sorry, yoinketh. It is yoinketh. Yoinketh. God yoinketh. I'm I'm staying up with the lingo because it embarrasses my children. It is uh, the sixth birthday party of a pint with Shawnee B. Fucking hell, six years. Is it 180? 180! It's a full 180. That's the second time I cracked that joke in the podcast this morning. See, we're live now, so it's not going to be as kind of tight and... You know, really well edited as uh, as it normally is. You get to see us in the sort of in, in the all togethers. Yeah, one hundred and eighty episodes. You That's were kind of horrifying. You've been around for the last thirty. I've been sniffing around in the background for a good while. Yeah, I've, we have to get. I mean, how dreadful was that sitar? I mean, how dreadful is the fucking sitar it's not as a musical great. instrument? It's it's. Um, it's like as if it's it's like as if I picked up something and tried to play it. But that's actually the way you play it. It's like yeah. out of tune, missing bum notes. And, I oh, mean, look, we have the concertina, so I'm not being judgmental. Oh, we have bagpipes. And we don't, we have the oven pipes, which are whatever, fucking yeah. hideous. But uh, we were watching the great documentary by uh, Peter Jackson on the Beatles, which is eight hours of absolute fly-on-the-wall bliss into and inside the band. And, of course, George Harrison, uh, sadly no longer with us, did sort of he'd had a phase didn't he he did they went off to India and he brought back a sitar and he was like I want to put the good sitar into the music lads and they let him but like he kind of fucked up a few albums with it I mean there's a few good sitari kind of songs within you and without you but it was that great bit though remember I showed you you didn't you, you're not a massive Beatles fan but remember I, I showed know, you that I'm, when I say I'm not a Beatles <clears throat> fan I'm not a fanatic but I mean they're, they were fantastic I mean everyone's a big Beatles most people are a big Beatles fan so I'm still, I don't not like them it's, I just I'm not fanatic about them more so than anybody else like yeah I mean it's a great <clears throat> it's a great insight into the band and how they work and there's this, there's a wonderful scene in the first episode it, go, it does go on a bit so you want to be a true Beatles fan culminating in them appearing on the top of the Abbey Road Studios uh, to film Let It Be the album but there's a bit in the first uh, episode where as if by magic um, they're and they're all turning up for work uh, every morning they come in and say hi and all these guys are walking around plugging things in and plugging them out and they sit in this sort of circle together Ringo on the drums Yoko Ono sort of there like a kind of yeah. ghost hovers around weird, kind very of. close up with the band but they kind of they were amazingly kind of able to handle that and they didn't sort of there was no kind of yeah she did, in fairness to Yoko Ono she didn't say much she didn't go oh I think that's great or whatever you know she just yeah. doesn't do it she just hovers around <clears throat> but John was late one morning and Paul, who does come across in this as the kind of genius of the band musically, uh, I think that Lennon adds a great edge to his slightly poncy kind of work. Yeah. But there's this bit where where Paul is just obviously a bit pissed off that they're not getting anywhere. And he just starts riffing with his, I think his bass guitar. And he's trying to come up with a song. And just as we watch the great Beatles song, Get Back, starts emerging 
And yeah, it's crazy because it, like it, you kind of you can see a little bit of frustration there, and it kind of sounds a bit shit. They're not getting anywhere, and then there's just a moment when it becomes something, and then you go, "Oh my god, that's what it is." It's really really cool to watch. Yeah. And you can see George and Ringo kind of ambivalent, smoking cigarettes and yawning because it's early morning. And then you can suddenly see the two of them start going, oh, he's got something happening here. And then, you know, George takes out his guitar and starts kind of playing. And then Ringo starts clapping his hands and Get Back appears. It's just... Yeah. It's just and it's amazing. lovely when like there's there's no words yet and they're just kind of faffing about and and throwing in the odd random word. Exactly like that. Um, and then it, equally the long and winding road, Paul's dicking around the piano later in the, oh, yeah. in the series and uh, he's got Mel, who's the sort of roadie, um, who is his job. And again, time before computers is to write down the lyrics as Paul trots them out. But Mel goes, oh, you should, you should, don't leave me waiting. Don't leave me standing here. And Paul's like, oh, what? you know, leave me waiting. And then he starts playing it and he goes, don't leave me waiting here. Leave me to, and it's just, just a ma- magic. Yeah. Thing. And he runs in. No, if you go the second one, if yeah. the second one you go standing, you left me standing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, that works. Yeah. So, uh, really recommend that. And, uh, as I said, the guy has done humankind some service because I think in 200 years time, if we're lucky, the Beatles may be the only thing or one of the only few things that we remember. Um, it's nice threaded as well in that uh, they're very professional and ordinary. Yeah, and, like, they're, they're huge guys. at this stage. Yeah. You know? yeah. But there's 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 no shite. And even when they're frustrated with each other, they're quite respectful to each other. There's no diva shit. Like they're, they're just nice lads. Yeah. And the, the, the outcome I took from it was, you know, why in the hell did they break up? Because it, it didn't look like it was that bad. Like they were still going through the the process of changing yeah. from being a live concert band, which they hated, to a, to an experimental band. But it's, it's really, really good if you're a Beatles fan, which doesn't deflect from the fact that George Harrison and his sitar, uh, all the way from when they went to meet the Maharishi Mahalesh Yogi, I think his name was, in India, and came back all kind of sitar-struck. You didn't get to do that bit when you were in India, no? No, but I did... Um, I do have three funny Indian stories from the time. I spent about two months there in about 15 years ago. And in one week, there were just three things that kind of showed India for, you know, the kind of basket case that it is. And I'd lived in China for a bit. Yeah. So China and India were very kind of, uh, they were both growing fast, but, Ch- but China was growing 10 times faster with India because India is a democracy and everyone likes to talk about things and no one gets anything done. Really. <laughs> I was staying in Mumbai and three things happened. One, I went to play football really early in the morning with uh, our Indian uh, friends and uh, work colleagues at 6am on Bandra Beach, which is all these lads arrive at 6am to play football as the dawn comes up and the tide is out and we play football on the hard sand with jumpers for goalposts and when we arrived there were about 200 people on the beach in the dry sand rummaging in it and Juju Basu who is my uh, my colleague from Sachi days hi Juju if you're still around I haven't heard from you in ages um, I said Juju what are all those people doing um, rummaging in the sand and he said I don't know he, he said I better go over he said I'll find out so he went over and asked them and they were, they were apparently on that beach about five years ago. Somebody found a diamond in the sand. And 
the word had got around the village that the diamonds are back. And literally there were all these people rummaging in the sand for diamonds that were clearly not going to materialise, which was sad. The next thing that happened, literally all in one week, was some guy in India thought it would be cool to open a new restaurant. And he was, you know, he was riffing, going, what will I call it? What will I call it? And he goes, I know what I call it. Hitler. I'll use Hitler. Hitler is a very powerful figure and so he called his he called his restaurant Hitler's Cross he cross he's furious and the cross was the swastika well I, I was going to say could they get the swastika like India is probably the only place they can get away with using the swastika well no but this was being used very much in the third right kind of way yeah. it, was, it was banners and portraits of Hitler in the restaurant and you like know, Eddie Rockets but like a Nazi version it, like yeah. a themed restaurant yeah and you know, there aren't that many Jews living in, or weren't, certainly at that time in Not Mumbai. anymore. But of course they went, what the WF? <laughs> WWF? WTF. You're World so... Wild, World Wildlife Fund. And, they, and, and of course it was on the front page of the newspapers, like, what the fuck? You know, and your man's going, what? Hitler's a famous guy. I wanted to... So, and that's actually a true story. If you Google Hitler's Cross Mumbai, there was a restaurant um, set up. And in the same week, out on the um, sort of posh part of Mumbai, there was this, uh, the sea. And the sea around Mumbai, if you think about it, it's an island, is absolutely fucking rank. Maybe you've cleaned up your act since 2006 or whatever. But the sea outside this mosque on the coast suddenly desalinated and turned sweet. That's the, the, the non-salty water is known as sweet water. Yeah. And you go out into the sea and you could drink the water. Now, the water is brown. Yeah. But all the Muslims in the region, up to 150,000 of them over the next three days, arrived at this mosque for this miracle of the sweet water. And they were like wheeling people in wheelchairs out into the sea. They were buying bottles of normal water, emptying it in front of cameras and going out and filling it with brown water and drinking it. And Was A&E packed that? The next day, uh, uh, the Times of India had a front, like in 12 point type, do not drink the water at Bandra, uh, wherever it was. You know, it is full of animal and human feces. And they were clearing the hospital decks in a way probably not seen... Uh, until recently with COVID, to, to prepare for a huge influx of, of uh, diphtheria and whatever you're going to catch. And the monsoon was happening at the time. I think it was August when I was there. And all the fresh water from the rain had gone into the aquifer and pushed the aquifer out into the sea. And Not to be outdone, the Hindus then started saying it was the Ganesh elephant statue. They said, oh, there's elephant statues that are drinking milk. You know, they were holding teaspoons up to the elephant statue and it would, the milk would disappear because they were yeah. made of clay. <laughs> So there's all that kind of mayhem in, in India. And uh, those of you who've tuned in for our live uh, New Year countdown, um, we're about to do that now because uh, we have one minute to go to the New Year in Mumbai. I don't think we're going to spend our New Year. Was I fuck going to stay sober until midnight so I could still make <laughs> what sense? fuck? In my shite. What fuck? Anyway, we have the good stuff this year. The Moet. No Moet, no Showet, as I like to say. No Chandon, no Bandon. Uh, last year, those of you who may remember me opening a bottle of champagne and you took my own eye out. I'm looking at you so nervously. Do you need some protective eyewear? Here we go. Oh, that was a good sound. Right, bring over your drink. We're going to have some Moet to ring in the new year on what was probably 
the worst year of my life to date, which is saying something. Look at that, that sound effect's fantastic. You can't get the proper sound effects in champagne with Prosecco. That's what you're hearing there is the real McCoy from the Champagne region of France, Moet and Chandon, Imperial Brut Champagne. Yeah, we'll move on to the shite for the second bottle. We will. We'll have that at 12 o'clock here. <clears throat> anyway, uh, countdown for uh, Bombay coming up, I think. 10, 9, 8, nine. 7, 6, 5, 4, is this racist? Three. Yeah. Two. <laughs> it's a problematic one. one. Happy New Happy Year! Year! Happy New Year, India, and Happy New Year to everyone who's listening. I really hope none of you have tuned in actually on your own listening to us uh, at midnight in either Britain or uh, America. But if you have, uh, we will try and keep you company for the next hour and the first hour of the new year. Cheers. Cheers. Here, have a samosa. <sighs> Yeah, so it was a bad year. The old man carked it, and uh, that wasn't good for our family. And I had another mate uh, top himself, and another few people died. It was a year of death, and nobody actually that I knew died of COVID. No, nobody I know either. But everyone is getting it. The last uh, podcast we were we announced with great fanfare the uh, arrival of Omicron, and we were not disappointed. Although there is, uh, we we do have to pay homage to the Siberian hamster today. Just news breaking from America. As we are literally speaking, um, the Siberian hamsters are used a lot for animal experiments and testing and have been basically the, can you call it a Siberian hamster elaborate? I don't know, but can you put a trigger or warning on this in case the cheese is <clears throat> Well, there were Mr. Saddlebags. Remember Mr. Saddlebags came up in a quiz? Yeah. Mr. Saddlebags, they're the ones who puff their cheeks out yeah. with, with nuts and stuff. Um, so they're used in uh, in the in the labs to uh, test for COVID, and they die. They don't. They don't last kissing time with COVID. But with Omicron, they are surviving. Interesting. And this is being seen as a really good thing. So, cheers to the Siberian hamsters out there who have given up their little saddlebag cheeks for all of us in the fight against COVID. It appears we're okay. We're not okay, but we're okay, if you know what I mean. Does that mean I can tell the kids they can take their masks off at home? Well, it means they can lick their hamsters. (laughs) (laughs) They can lick their hamsters if they've got COVID. What a year. I mean, um, where to start? Uh, I mean, one of the things that that, that has happened is, and we we talked talked about this with our friend Donald O'Neill's, dubious documentary the COVID Chronicles let's call it that because he's our friend um, this whole conspiracy thing master work the deep state is out to get you it's all a hoax uh, taking away my freedom all that bullshit is starting to kind of be kind of is it or not I, mean, I don't know I think it's, it's it's there now it's going to twist and move people the ourselves. I mean a bit of, not to reuse the same. Don got her booster. I did. I got my booster on Wednesday morning. And She's I was probably one of the first thirty-one or two-year-olds. Are you thirty-one? I'm thirty-two. Thirty-two-year-olds to get it. Although I will point out, and I'll never miss an opportunity to do that. 
it was the it was the first morning where I was eligible for booster. First of the thirty year olds. Yeah. But uh, no, I was there ten to nine. Got in there on time, and your man said to me, the pharmacist that was giving out. He said he, he took a look. He says you're over thirty. This is only for over thirties, and I was like, yes, thank you. I am in fact over thirty. So that was great. I got my booster, and I got a reminder that I looked too young. The don got carded at the vaccine. I got carded at the, for my vaccine. I was thrilled. This just I've been spending a lot of time sort of working on reading the hysteria that the far right stroke anti-vaxxers, stroke COVID deniers, stroke Trump supporters, whatever you want to call them. And one of the things that's coming out, it even came out from Donald, is this whole idea that Donald Trump brought us the vaccine. Now, the vaccine did did arrive on Donald Trump's watch. He was the actual president when the vaccine was created and developed. Yeah, you're sitting back watching, making trouble. Well, exactly. And, and you know, my, my, friend, my good friend Donald is defending, you know, well, you know, he, he did it. There, there's a brilliant link we put to a three-hour-long, brilliant expose of everything that's in COVID Chronicles nearly and everything that's in all of these conspiracy theories and all these idiots who are out there saying, oh, do your own research and blah, 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 by Sam Harris. I'll put a link to him in the podcast. But just for anyone, and half of our listeners are in America, just for any of you, who are in any way thinking, well, my president, Donald Trump, brought us the vaccines. It's just worth remembering where Donald Trump stood on this disease when it first arrived. And have a listen to this, which should put you all straight, those of you who think he deserves some credit for anything. So even the politics of that seem fairly confounding to me because there was this moment where Trump seemed desperate to take credit for Operation Warp Speed, right? And to, ha- to have us all think of the vaccines as the essentially the Trump vaccine. I don't know why he didn't do and that. What I, happened? Mean, I have a theory. Why, why, why did he walk away from that? I, mean, I, I think he didn't even acknowledge getting the vaccine himself in the end. I mean, he certainly didn't turn it into a photo op and, and recommend that others do well, it. Well, I think he wasn't sure the vaccine would arrive in time to make a difference in the election. So I think from Trump's point of view, the emergence of the pandemic, he correctly deduced that it would be a threat to his reelection. And I think his strategy and this man, that uh, Trump is um, not a very honest individual. Mm. And I also don't think he took his duties to the American people sufficiently seriously. I think he was more selfish and more interested in his own. I think, you know, I think he's very narcissistic. So it was a threat. He took it as a personal threat and was interested in what was good for him, not what was good for the country. And what was good for him, he thought, was to pretend like it wasn't there. And the uh, and, and, and there's detailed account of this that I actually give in the books. So I won't necessarily rehearse it here. But but his he, he, Trump was ignoring and saying, it'll go away, it will go away, it will go away. He said when there were 50 cases in the USA, he said it will go away. When there were 500 cases, it will go away. When there were 5,000 cases, it will go away. When there were 50,000 cases, it will go away. He kept saying it will go away. There was no evidence it was going to go away. And we now know that he was briefed, unsurprisingly, we're the United States, for the love of God. We we have elite you know, intelligence agencies and uh, scientists working for the government, briefing the president. He was briefed on what was going to happen, and he chose to ignore it. This is alarming, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and of course, we now know that 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 was not true. In fact, the president was briefed and chose to ignore it. And I think this is a grave dereliction of duty because I think the the central function of the government is to keep the citizenry safe. And and the fact that there was a super spreading event in the White House itself 
which is a national security threat, let's not forget, like if the whole apparatus had been decimated, that would have been a you know grave problem, shows the kind of lackadaisical attitude that they had, not only to the safety of the country, but to their own uh, safety. So, you know, I know that other governments also did poorly, and this is an argument that's often used. And, and to be clear, this is not just a there were there were democratic governors who were also incompetent for example governor cuomo so that was nicholas christakis harvard professor and sam harris who have who have a brilliant podcast out on what we learned from the pandemic there's a link to that in the blurb of this podcast but he's got blood in his hands Trump. i mean he's all right but he's no fucking good yeah and like he does have blood in his hands and i kind of i was sitting there wondering like what would it have been like and I know you can say if, if my nanny's coffin had wheels, it'd be a go-kart, but here we fucking are. <laughs> but if he hadn't been such a prick about COVID to begin with, if he hadn't politicised it, I mean, we still would have anti-vaxxers. It's still, certainly in Ireland, you still have, like a huge amount of it was just, well, I want to go to Portugal on my fucking hollybops and I don't like this and I'm bored. So, you know, people chose their side based on what's convenient to them. But I wonder, would it have been so bad if, because we already had this huge polarisation in America, and you know that you of all the, the the Democrats versus the Republicans, the Trump, we already had this massive divide. So by weaponizing this particular topic, it was guaranteed that you're going to have fucking half the population be rat lickers, which is really dangerous. And, and also that fed into like the far right here and everywhere around. Yeah, there still would have been people who would have been COVIDiots and rat lickers. But if he had chosen, if he had been, I mean, he's an arsehole and all that, but if he had sat there and gone, right, this is really important. If I politicize this particular topic then we're in serious trouble this particular topic needs to be something that we agree upon across yeah, like the aisle yeah you know, we agree across the aisle this not good this bad yeah but he he politicized it and i i wonder i genuinely do wonder how i i don't think it would have been near as bad if he had if he had chosen to just do the right thing on this and you might have bickered about what the best way of handling things are fine sure but yeah. if he hadn't sown the and seed and lots of mistakes were made yeah, yeah but if he hadn't sown the seed to all his followers created this massive cult there, of course there still would have been COVID denying it but I don't think it would have been anything then, as much as things start to be like so very simple math if you or maths, maths math because I'm talking about America and two Americans if you say the population of Ireland is about 5 million and you say the population of America is 300 million Multiply by 60, like very, very, very spurious um, sums just to, 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 to do it. But, you know, we have 5,000 deaths. We would have had 300,000 deaths if our, our population was the size of America. America's had 800,000 deaths. Yeah. If we were Britain multiplied by 10, we would have had 50,000 deaths. They've got 145,000 deaths. So all of these places that said, oh, you don't have to wear masks, you don't have to have lockdowns, you don't have to do this, it's only a flu... All of them have of the order of three times the number of deaths mm. in the same kind of fat, unfit, diabetic types of people who eat hamburgers all the time and don't do any. The same. So, and that's enough of a fucking benchmark to show because yeah. it's three times more. Yeah. You know? It's a lot. And at this stage, any one of you who are out there, you know, if you're a little mother who, who has a son and a daughter and their bodies are temples and you feed them organic food and you eat organic food and you're not putting anything into your system and it gives you autism, all of that bullshit on the anti-vax side. I mean, you know, everyone goes, well, you don't want to, want to be mean to the anti-vax people because they should be allowed. You know, I'm coming around to mandatory vaccinations at this stage. At, at this stage, you've got to go, here's the facts. If you have a vaccine, 
you have one in a million chance of dying from the vaccine. That's the numbers. Yeah. If you have a vaccine, you have a one in a million chance of dying. If you don't have a vaccine, you have one in a hundred chance of dying if you catch COVID. Mm. Okay, so if you get COVID, one in a hundred chance. If you get a vaccine, one in a million chance. If you get COVID and you're 25, probably one in 200. Okay, now these are long odds. 100 to one horses don't win. 200 to one horses never win. So you have, you're, you're quite right. You don't need to get the vaccine if you're 30 because you're unlikely to get badly sick and die. However, the point about vaccines is you can pass it on to people who can die. Yeah, I mean, and a part of your civic duty, like wearing seatbelts, like not speeding in your car, like not smoking yeah. indoors, is to other people. Well, so get the fucking the kids vaccine. Thing. I get the, I get <clears> the thing <throat> on the kids thing. I don't think everybody who's wary of the vaccine, I think, I think they're wrong, but I don't think everyone's a fucking arsehole. And I think it's, I, I, it's hard for me to know where I stand on how much, I mean, I, I don't think I stretched a mandatory vaccine, but I'm kind of really okay with, I'm fucking delighted that the gyms aren't available for everybody because it was a fucking hotbed of all these particular dickheads that it, it's the, the egotists. I'm bigger than you. I've yeah. got, they're lashing fucking steroids into themselves, but they won't take the back. It's just that kind of, I want to make life difficult for them because it's a fucking hotbed. And I honestly think if they have to choose between going to the gym and their bodybuilding, which is the very core of who they are and why they get to be dickheads on nights out, if they have to choose between that and a vaccine, they'll choose the fucking gym. And you know what? If you're going to choose the gym over the vaccine, well, then you didn't have a very good reason to refuse the vaccine to begin with. But on the right. kids thing, I understand. It's, it's only just coming in now in Ireland where you have uh, five to 12 year olds. But up until then, they weren't old enough. And my kids are not... I mean, they fucking live on a diet of chicken nuggets and noodles. It's nothing special I did, but I've been very, very blessed with them in that they're really robust kids. They're sturdy. They've never been sick. I haven't had to worry. But, All those hamsters they've licked. <laughs> exactly. And my youngest already had COVID. Thanks be to God, he was fine. So... I'm in a position where I'm going to go, my kids are perfectly fine. He's already had COVID. So it'd be easy for me to go, mm, am I to be part of civic society or am I to be a mother? And there is that thing where you sometimes go, sometimes you have to set your principles aside and you have to be a parent first. And is it what's best for them? But then I go, mm, yeah, but just because my kids happen to be really fucking healthy. Yeah. And I also know, and it might seem arrogant, but I know that the amount of fuckwits that get on to me with stupid questions and I don't know why they ask me I don't know if I'm leaving cert but I, I often get questions from people go here you're smart explain this to me because I don't want to get the head bitten off me what should I do yeah. I get people asking me that and so if my kids aren't getting the vaccine I know lots of other people think well if Darren doesn't get her kids vaccinated well we definitely shouldn't so I was eager to get them vaccinated because not because it's what's best for them but because it's the right thing to do yeah. and I, I, I trust that they're safe <clears throat> and there are kids in their class who might not be as safe and there's my mum and there's their, their other nana uh, and they've yeah. all these people around them that like and I know no of course you can still pass it on but it makes a difference it does make a difference if everyone does so I was kind of eager and I was watching and then I realised an even worse thing happened yesterday or the day before the portal opened for 5 to 12 year olds but it was supposed to be for 5 to 12 year olds with underlying health conditions so I have like Facebook friends and stuff that I've watched for years who have extremely sick children who have been absolutely terrified for the past two years just rattling can't go outside the door really really sick kids in and out of hospital and it hasn't been available to them and now it is the plague is running rampant and so they're desperate to get in and what happened is a shitload of parents got on and they didn't check to see if you had a consultant set or, or they didn't check so a shitload of parents got on knowing their ch- their kids weren't didn't have 
underlying conditions and said, oh, fuck this, this is grand, and shoved their kids to the front of the queue. So I have people on my Facebook whose kids couldn't get an appointment, whose kids are at death's door, and it will kill them. Okay, so I mean, you have all of this stuff coming out now, and the people who are trying to come up with the world, this is all a, a control by a world or a new world order. I mean, look at yourselves. You're talking through your face. Which they say on Facebook. Ass. Yeah. Piss and, off. and, you know, taking away our freedoms and likening it to the Third Reich. Ivor Cummins, the guy who's on Donald O'Neill's documentary, The Cova Chronicles, has got fucking blood on his hands. And he's the biggest tosspot I've ever seen. I'm actually not, and neither is the Don, spoon-fed whatever the mainstream media tell us. I'm working off the fact Mm. that thousands of doctors and thousands of scientists have been working at breakneck speed to protect people and to try and come up with a vaccine for this fucking thing. Nobody there. If it is a new world order, look at how great they're doing. Look at how well they're doing this. Look at how well they're executing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, and I'm not dismissive of it because in lots of other political areas I'm concerned I'm concerned with I'm concerned in that the people I align more with that I know are kind and are coming from a good place I'm concerned that freedom of speech and that this group think this cult think that I've always been fascinated with cults and all that so I'm I'm finding that very difficult across the spectrum so then I have to kind of go when I look at COVID just because I agree with the experts and I kind of wish do I do keep stopping myself and going well how comfortable am I with mandatory vaccines or how comfortable am I with that because it, because people have a right to make a choice even if it's not my choice and, and I so I am constantly arguing myself and I'm kind of going like you have a right to make a choice yeah. as long as you don't damage think, someone else well look though. you're right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins Mm, and, yeah. and I think and yeah. I don't think it's black and white I think that's really difficult and I think we have to grapple with and I, I do kind of move a little bit at times I don't change my opinion but I move as to because I keep checking in with myself and going oh, yeah it's really easy to be all the way right and going fuck them fuck them but there are because there are other areas where I go no this is this is worrisome yeah. and we have to allow for people we don't agree with to speak and, and we have to allow for a certain amount of freedom I don't think I could stand over mandatory vaccines but I can live with it being really fucking difficult like there's no way in hell you should be allowed to go in and work in a hospital if you're not yeah, going to get vaccinated 25% of America tits. 25% of American healthcare workers are refusing to take it yeah vaccine. like that's outrageous go fuck yourself yeah. and, the, and, and, and the point is that the, the, the people on this right the people who are hurling abuse going you do your own research Shawnee you know you're just a sheeple they're the ones who are in the fucking cult yeah, they're in this cult and they're paying homage to 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 ridiculous QAnon conspiracies. Ridiculous. I mean, I can we can wheel out a doctor anywhere in the world that'll tell us smoking is good for you. So all of you go well. What about the peer review? What about the Bilderberg group that signed all the? There's all these fucking failed idiotic doctors coming out that you're they're rolling never fucking in behind. Peer reviewed, by the way. The point is. And like spending even an hour on Twitter watching them, you know, going yeah. into that bubble is just. I mean, I have a friend, uh, a female friend in Ireland who wrote to me apropos the last podcast and then bombarded me with this absolute fucking horseshit after her. I had to block her on WhatsApp. <laughs> she was sending me, oh, what about the children? You know, I don't know what it is, but I promise you, I will be leading the storming of the fucking Bastille if there's a Third Reich or if there's a global agenda or if there's something like this. The people here who are in charge of the world can't even feed people. Oh, that's part of it. They want to, they can't even build houses properly. Oh, that's part. They can't. They're greedy 
people who are making money at our expense. I agree. But they're not doing all this crazy shit that you guys seem to think justifies not wearing your masks and not getting vaccinated and not and not behaving like a fucking proper human being instead of a fucking idiot. Anyway, listen, if you're if you're falling down these rabbit holes and they're very easy to fall down because when you go on to Ivor Cummins or any of these idiots Twitter feeds, there's just a whole bunch of people weighing in with, oh, Third Reich this and Nazism that and fascism this. If you're a good faith actor in this, um, I believe that the people who are leading the charge are bad faith actors. What do they want? They want to break society. They want to uh, crush capitalism, which I totally agree. We need a new ism, but they want to they want to cause division and they want to break they want to break society. And they're using fear to do that. And people are swallowing it. And it is. It's sad. It's sad. We talked about it being just sort of stupid um, the last time, but and it is. But um, and if you haven't got a vaccine yet, even if your mum is telling you not to, go get a vaccine. And so the same applies with climate change, which is going to be a lot worse. Now there is a great movie that you need to see. Yeah, don't look up. Don't look up. Just broke on Netflix last week, and is getting kind of pilloried by left wing. See, we're not. We're not. We're not. Anti right wing here, left wing kind of publications going. Oh, this is this is not proper satire, and this is whatever. And, you know, and <laughs> as if the Guardian knows what satire <laughs> is, piss off. And it's a fantastic film. It's got an absolutely stellar cast. Meryl Streep is brilliant as a sort of female Donald Trump. Absolutely, brilliant. yeah. It's always it's got whisperings of Sarah Palin, but much more Donald Trump. She's brilliant. Leonardo DiCaprio's in it, and there's a whole host of. But it's still very good. <laughs> Kate Blanchett plays a brilliant role. But the whole thing is about a, and I have to now eat some humble. So one of the things is people are hate walking things back. People hate apologising. People hate saying they were wrong. So here's on the last show of the year, Shawnee B apologising to all of his humble listeners because, as you may remember, Don, in a lot of our conversations about COVID, I used to reach for the idea that if there was a comet heading towards us and we only had a year to kill it or blow, blow it out, blow it up, yeah. we would do that. And this movie is exactly about a comet heading towards us and we have six months to do it. And it clearly shows we wouldn't have a fucking chance of getting it done. Um, and uh, so, I, yeah, I apologise. I walked that back. Now, in fairness, can we just say, this is actually a work of fiction. So Yeah, sorry, there know. isn't, by the way, there isn't a comet heading towards us any of so this. it's not that you were wrong, wrong but it's, it's that you watched and you went, actually, in yeah. fairness, I've changed my mind. If that were to happen, I think we'd fuck that up too. Live as you speak, we're now filling up our second glass of champagne. Oh, to excuse us, we're just getting a top up. So, uh. I thought it was very good. And so I was watching just as the night that we watched it, I was nipping around Facebook the next morning. I could see everyone's posts from the night before. So quite a lot of people watched it when we did. Hmm. And I found a lot of positive reviews, in fairness, from some people that I thought would have been too fucking thick to get it. And I, and I mean lefties. I haven't, I haven't looked into what people on the right would think, although it's much more kind of acerbic to them. The thing is, you can sit and watch it and you and you can kind of identify because they're not saying COVID, for example, yeah. and they're not saying climate change. They're saying comet asteroid or an asteroid or whatever. Yeah. And so you can watch it and you can interchange with you. I found myself kind of going, oh, yeah, that's COVID. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, that's, that's climate change. And that was handy because the fact that 
it's really it's an obvious analogy but they haven't spelled it out so that means that I can sit from my position and go ha 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 look at those fucking ages I know isn't it desperate and I'm sure somebody else that has a very difficult political leaning to me can also sit there and go ha 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 look at those fucking ages we can identify with certain uh, roles within the film and positions within the film but they haven't actually handed us our position which means that I can go ha ha isn't that stupid I hope I'm not like that <laughs> because I've ascribed myself a different role and I think that's what's so clever about it but for a fucking simpleton writing for the Guardian it's like oh well, it's too obvious no dickhead it's on the nose but it's it's it, that's what's so genius about it yeah. because it's so obvious that you don't realise that you haven't actually been handed a specific role so you find yourself going in between different roles and you realise that you can actually play it a different way as you play it back in your head you can play it a different way and, and, a, and assign a slightly different topic to it and that changes the meaning and I think that's the most interesting thing mm. because when we have this kind of polarisation there's no movement and it's us and them they have fucked with this by making it so obvious that you don't quite see that they haven't actually clarified which side is which and who's who in, in it. And there is the issue of the mainstream media here because the reason I think The Guardian are slagging it is because they realise they're part of the problem. Like when you look at the sort of morning show on CVN instead of CNN, you know, or the Fox News stuff that's actual in reality, it's like absolutely atrocious journalism. It's really poor. Mm. Uh, it, it shows how we're all being kind of led by the mainstream media and which mm. ones we trust. And actually, it's really hard to trust any. You can trust CNN more than you can trust Fox because Fox is just, it's hardly even journalism. It's actually just swill bucket rattling. But you can't trust CNN because they also have an agenda. Yeah. The BBC almost have an agenda now you as don't, well. As you say that, if you kind of, I know there are other networks, but if you just kind of went to Fox and CNN, right, Fox are doing the whole... Trump cult, let's go down this bollocksy route, this fucking fake news, all that kind of shit. Grand. But conversely, that kind of makes CNN almost reactionary to that. Yeah. So nobody's neutral. It's just that one was a fucking piss take to begin with and the one that might have been neutral is now reactionary to the other. It's a difficult one because you kind of go, you can't trust any of them. And that's kind of the point. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to think for yourself. However... One of the biggest problems we have is this do your own re- research bollocks. And the best quote, I don't know if I've said it before, but it was uh, Helen Joyce was talking about uh, on, on a different matter with the internet. Who's Helen Joyce? She is an Irish mathematician who wrote a very, very popular book this year, a very, very hated book this year, Trans. Right. So she she was looking at the trans issue from lots of different angles. She was on a podcast that I like to listen to and... She kind of made it succinct for me in that she was saying, we have to outsource our opinions because we're not experts in everything. We now have access to so much information, which is fantastic, but we're not experts in everything. Now, if I, if someone says, do your own research, sorry, I don't have the fucking tools or the skill set. I'm sure yeah. I could learn them, but me doing my own research is going to be fucking YouTube videos and shit. Now, I have actually worked on that because there's, there's a website available where you can hack in and get and, and, learn to read peer-reviewed studies and to identify them even if you're not (laughs) I could and it's something I want to work on because I think it's important but it comes down to you should you absolutely should think for yourself and you shouldn't trust anyone's opinion as gospel and ask yourself any particular group whether that be a media channel or Facebook group or any particular grouping of people ask yourself do I disagree with anything here because if you don't disagree with anything then you're not thinking of yourself Mm. at all do I question, are there some things that I go, mm, it doesn't really sit right for me. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm, I'm not well up on it enough, but it doesn't. If, if you're not wavering on anything, well, then you're probably not thinking of yourself at all. 
But with this, it's kind of a case of there are times when I go, look, if my car is fucked, I might go, hmm, I'm not sure I trust this garage. I think he's taken me for a fast one. This is absolute bollocks. He's robbing me blind. But I'm not going to start opening up the fucking engine and fuck... I don't know what the fuck to do with it. So there's an element of looking around you, looking, who do you trust? If I'm not sure on this, well, who do I trust that I think that their opinion might be worth hearing out? Who are they listening to? How do we do this is the question. But I think at least having a clear objective that you don't want to necessarily follow any particular crowd unquestionably. But there are times when you go, I don't fucking know best. I'm going to have to outsource my opinion. Let's have a look around and think, whose opinion would I like to take on board? If you wanted to etch a sketch and start again in America with a news organisation, you would not pick anybody, I don't think, from Fox. Maybe the old specky guy, you know, is the old dog for the hard road and there's a few journalists in there who are journalists. But you wouldn't pick Tucker Carlson and you wouldn't pick Sean Hannity and you wouldn't pick all these swill bucket people. And you probably wouldn't pick many people from CNN. You might pick Anderson Cooper or, or I mean, but you, you, you get a feeling that these people have a genuine integrity about them as reporters or, or, or you won Christiana and them poor hmm. people like that. The, the acid test of the media that you're viewing is how often do you encounter points of view, op-ed pieces that you disagree with? Mm. okay in your in your media yeah. of choice so that you kind of go i don't agree with that like why are we letting Breda o'brien have a she's a, a pro-life uh kind of uh, god bother very catholic kind yeah. of, why do we give her a piece in the irish times every week because there's 66 percent of people in, or 33 percent of people in Ireland who are that yeah we also give Fintan o'toole on top but we allow a yeah. balance okay and the bbc is supposed to be built and then and so is rt and irish television but there's none of that in america so there is an agenda with Ted Turner and CNN, whatever it was when he set up. And there is an agenda yeah. with Rupert Murdoch and Wall Street Journal. And there's an agenda with the but Times. The that, New York Times even has an that agenda. That becomes difficult because as you're saying that, I go, absolutely, yeah. But that's difficult and complicated because if I'm thinking back to easiest one that I know most about would be the repeal referendum here, the abortion mm. referendum. And so we had this thing about, you know, you had to have balanced time. The problem is... Uh, when you give balanced time to experts and you give balanced time to opinions, if one side is actually quite fringe, what you're doing is Correct. you're giving balance. And what actually happens to the viewers is it legitimizes a fringe aspect yeah. to being as, as legitimate and solid an uh, uh, opinion and as well researched yeah. as the other. So that becomes difficult as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think there is a simple answer. I think you, those two, I think the fact that we need to have balance and the fact that balance can be dangerous because it can actually obscure I think that's those truth that we need to hold those two truths and and be intelligent and try and do our best with that knowing those two things are kind of in conflict well, the BBC, but they both are important the BBC got caught up on this over climate change because they mm. were allowing climate change to exactly. deniers however on abortion we absolutely because we absolutely need to allow people who are pro-life because a oh, third of this country still goes to mass and believes that killing babies is but bad. What we were talking about was in terms of expert opinion because right. there was no fucking expert opinion. Though. It was it was wrong. It was lies and it was bollocks mm-hmm. and it was false. It was falsehoods and it was fake nurses and fake doctors yeah. and not that there weren't so, any. So then you but have. I think climate change is a much better example. Mm-hmm. So we absolutely have to have balance. But when we start fifty-fifty-ing it, we're kind of that the what's actually appearing is that one opinion is as legitimate as the other and it's not and that's dangerous but we still have to have balance so i think there's no simple answer but i think we need to bear in mind those two truths that we must have we must have an element of balance but we must be careful that the balance isn't going to totally skew and legitimize a fringe 
That doesn't mean we silence them altogether. So I don't know how we then do that. We make space for it, but we make sure it's not 50-50 sort of thing. Or we make... Well, it's, we, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's Randolph Hearst. It's, it's the owner of media. The responsibility that the owner of a medium has to allow journalistic integrity, mm. to allow editors to do what they want. Now, this doesn't happen with Rupert Murdoch's papers. This doesn't happen yeah. probably with Ted Turner. Because even... CNN got disappointedly caught out with ivermectin. They started calling it a, a, a cattle drencher and all this, which it is. Yeah. But there is also ivermectin has done great things for humans in human yeah. form. And they weren't caught lying; they were sneering. Yeah, they were. Sneering. And 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 some of their sneering was using hyperbole and disrespectful. Yeah. And, and like we'll slag and do that but I think because it came that's from that's our role CNN that's our job piss <laughs> off but because it came from a respectable news source yeah. it became disingenuous but they were being tongue in cheek and yeah. sneering but I do think there was an element of bowing down a bit and going yeah we probably shouldn't have done that yeah. our attitudes were fine but it actually meant poor journalism and we need to watch that because we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard yeah. you had some things that you wanted to leave in the past from 2021 I did. I mean, I there's so one. much. There's so much. I've, I've, I, I had a fucking. You know, I, I said, you know what I'll do? I said, like, let's uh, fuck the New Year's resolutions and all that. But like, let's have a list of things that can fucking stay dead in 2021. But what happened was I ran oh out of paper. Oh. What happened is I ran out of paper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it on and on and on. I started writing on the toilet rolls. Kids get the next fucking packet out, and so I said, I just pick my favorite. The one that's really on my tits at the moment is normalize especially when it's spelled with a z now i don't have a problem with american spelling fair enough it's different what i mean is when you see it spelled with a z it's usually at the start of a fucking order and this is a real millennial gen z far left thing of when they put up a post somewhere and they go normalize talking about this normalize doing that and it's like some sort of fucking command and i'm kind of going you haven't even written a full fucking sentence i have seen enough normalize People, people barking orders at me from all corners of the internet. Normalize this. Normalize that. Normalize going out fucking naked to walk your dog and have no one misgender you. No, piss off. You should say to them next time, normalizing is unsustainable. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is the, um, which is, which is crept in amazingly. The, sh- the, the shoulder shrug emoji. Oh, the shruggy sh- Oh, it's a smug cunt, that is. So the, the, this whole thing, just asking questions. So again, we're going back to you pricks, uh, in, in the conspiracy. And, you know, I might, and I've been back and forth, as I said, with Donnie. The passive Don- aggressive shoulder yeah, shrug. Every time Donal O'Neill says to me, you know, oh, look at the numbers, that the numbers don't lie. I just fucking, we're just looking at the numbers. And you're hand picking the fucking numbers for, for a start. Which, by the way, in, in my friend Donald's case, is the reason he became kind of famous as a documentarian, because he caught someone doing that about fat. And now he's doing it about COVID. But then they always finish with the little shoulder shrug. Like, what do I know? But <laughs> the passive aggressive shoulder shrug. So the passive aggressive shoulder shrug was in fact the passive aggressive thumbs up. And I'm not, I don't, I think that's one of those that's men and women see it differently and generationally we see it differently. But certainly if a man sent me a fucking thumbs up, I'd be like, oh, fuck you, cunt. What's that supposed to mean? The thumbs up was always a passive aggressive. I'm sending sending black thumbs up now, right? And people... I noticed you're doing that. And everyone's kind of going, oh, you know, be careful now, you know, and including... Excuse me. We're going to have a whole, sorry, we're going to have a whole session in the new year on woke racism and trans. We're going to just fucking bite that book because it needs to be bitchy. Sean, I, I want you to know that that's cultural appropriation because those particular emojis were not meant... For people of pallor. <laughs> That's a new one. 
I only heard this from the Don today. Better explain that before I go on my emoji rant. Well, you know, we uh, we don't say we don't say coloured anymore because and which I get. I have no issue with that. Like there's a whole lot of sometimes you need to change. The podcast your word is now banned because you said it on the podcast. I know. Stop. In that like, context. No, I get that coloured is not the appropriate mm-hmm. word anymore. And I'm actually I'm kind of grand with that because that was of a time when when was coloured used when there was separate fountains. Sometimes you need to not ban a word, but I get that sometimes you need to update things. I have actually no issue with that. But then it was like black and then I'm not sure we should say it, African-American well don't call us African-American we're not African which I also get so on the particular in fairness to the race issue I have no problem with the wording changing because to be quite honest sometimes you do need to leave things behind I would have a problem if somebody said slightly the wrong word unless they're saying a really really bad word if someone said it slightly wrong if you're jumping out of the throat I'd have a problem but I don't mind that sometimes we have a new way of saying things but obviously the current one is people of colour without the you <laughs> because it's an American thing but uh, I, it's not, it doesn't actually belong to me it's I came normalized. across it normalise you um, <clears throat> yeah no people of pallor so I don't want to be called white I do not want people to say uh, mayonnaise people I find that offensive or when people use that corn emoji and when people say white the aubergine emoji no no this is, specific, this is specific to the race thing yeah. there are lots of things that we white people have been oppressed with on Facebook this year and I don't want to hear it anymore I am forevermore people of pallor well I would be a person of pallor I think and I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's great <laughs> or pop as a, um, can you not speak over the voices of people of pallor <laughs> so I, I'm actually coming out of a different way the first thing about emojis is Emojis have just, you know, we, when we were kids, we'd be going, oh, you have to learn my Irish language and I have to learn Spanish and Latin and shit. And we all have to go, oh, French class today, fucking zoot allure. And, you know, you have all of this stuff. Emojis mm. have come in through stealth yeah. and become the most recognised language oh, yeah, in yeah. the world. But you see all the things, like there's so many WhatsApp groups going right now, girls going, what the fuck does this mean? He said that. Or like the thumbs up, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? Oh my God, that's such a red flag. And then a red flag emoji gets sent through. So it's, we're all trying to decipher what someone means by that. And we have different meanings. And it reminds me of, do you remember when like 3210s, 3310s came in and LOL came in, which is like yeah, lol, yeah. laughing out loud. Like you'd have you'd text your ma or your auntie and say, "Oh, did you see? Did you see uh, John's Mary died?" Oh, I didn't see that. Lol, because all the L ones yeah. thought it meant lots of love. <laughs> so it was all these terrible texts for years where the L ones were going lol. So I'm using the black thumbs up emoji, and I have actually had people question my cultural appropriation of a black emoji. I'd like to point out that I'm not yellow. And so I want to write to, I'm waiting for the Japanese actually and the Chinese to start saying, why are all emojis yellow? Uh, is that a slag? Are you slagging us? Are you saying, and I'm also not a member of the Simpsons family. I was going to say Mac Brodin. Well, I'm not a member and of the his. Simpsons family. So I'm going to start a campaign next year to make sure that we have white emojis for white people like me, or a sort of pink one, slightly off pink with a sort of red flush through it. To show broken veins. With broken veins coming through. Freckles. Hair on my knuckles, which is a new thing. And hair on the side of my hand. Not on the full hand, just on the side. A bit, not quite full werewolf, but certainly wouldn't want to be getting too more hairy. I want, I want a thumbs up emoji that reflects who I am and doesn't seem to suggest that I'm a Asian. And by the way, that's racist. And by the way, you shouldn't even have a banana emoji for that reason as well. And it's also racist to black people. And also, if you're going to make it black, brown, whatever, and pick your skin tone, I want to have 
cracked varicose veins. I want to be able to have an emoji in my phone that reflects the thumbs up that you're getting from me. You know what, though? Fucking side note. So my kids got virtual reality headsets this year for Christmas, Ah. which like lots of people got. Try it on. Fucking crazy. Cray cray. Brilliant. That's the future. I was playing this mad beam game where I was like, you had to do it to a rhythm. I was fucking brilliant. I've never felt so good about myself till I smashed my hand. But with that, with that said, first we had the old fashioned emojis on like the thirty two tens, and then you had like the more graphic ones and the ones that we have now. And we, we had so like Bitmoji, which you see a lot on Facebook and the likes where people have made a little icon that looks like themselves and it yeah. can do different yeah, things. Yeah. yeah. So what if the next one for the metaverse um, is going to be ba- based on stuff like this virtual reality headset all the kids have where you don't even have to put anything in. They've decided what height you are, what size you are, what weight you are and all your reaction emojis are going to be there set to you, what your hand looks like, whatever that... I could see that going. Yeah, but I'm, I, I, <clears throat> here's the thing and I think this is... We, we were all slagging the metaverse and, and but we're, we're, we're also frog marching ourselves towards it. Yeah. This was a big day for you. You were the first time that you used VR. Your kids were in different rooms fighting each other. But there's a great book called Ready Player One about the world as a desolate future. People just go onto this every morning and spend the entire day there. You're not going to go dressed mm. with your varicose veins and your slightly hairy hands. You're, I'm going to go dressed as a black person. I'm going to have a brilliant feather in my cap. I'm going to be a bit kind of pimpy, a bit like a bit like your man from The Wire. Yeah. Like, uh, what's his name? Um, Omar. Omar. Omar from him. The Wire. I'm going to go as Omar from The Wire. And Indeed. I'll really be a 60-year-old, varicose-veined, hairy-handed Irish... No, but that's so 20 years ago alcoholic. when we were all on the chat rooms like Pal Talk. Shout out to all my paedophile friends who I thought liked me when I was 12 now. Um... That's what's a dark side note. But uh, no, what I noticed was when the kids went on them, throughout the year we have all these conversations, whether it's on the podcast or whether we're like late into the night having a few drinks and we get yapping. You know, we just get into a heavy conversation and we start thinking about what the future will hold and how we, how, how we might be frog marching into things. And we have these really, really intellectual discussions sometimes. And I sat there with a glass of wine in front of me and the box of celebrations nudging my mom going isn't that gas is it a great film I'm going I bought, I bought this <laughs> I bought this for them yeah. I had to go and went exactly. this is great gas yeah. exactly like when the Wii came out 10 years ago or 15 yeah. years ago and we're all trying it at Christmas so, so it was exactly the same as that yeah. that, that that did strike me as I'm sitting there going you have bought them this this is fucking crazy I tried it on I was like this is cool but like wow and then 10 minutes later my son is in the sitting room and he's on some game and it's a virtual room with other people and he's like shouting at people and I'm there kind of trying to monitor his behaviour and then Ada's like no no he's on a game you're supposed to he's not threatening people that's part of the game I'm like okay and I'm I'm suddenly having to grapple with very very quickly trying to learn how to parent this yeah and then he comes to me like an hour later and he was like, um, they weren't nice to me in the room. And I was like, what's wrong? And I realized that it doesn't matter what you dress yourself up as. You can be with any ca- character it's you want. Be- so the thing is, it got so much that nobody knows who anyone is. And you can hear all these different accents from around right. the world. And to your point of like, you're not going to go on as you are, going to go on as you want to be. The child still came and went, well, I don't know. And I kind of had to say, well, you know, it's important. Like I had to give all the, the behavioral therapy advice. And I realized he's actually better off in the schoolyard because if you thought you were going to be cool. So just for anyone on the spectrum, if you think you're going to be cool in the metaverse, you won't. It's anyway, actually you harder. Will. You will, because we're all going to become the metaverse. This is what's actually happening. So anyone who's going on oh, Facebook, this is like Oculus Rift, Google Glass, all those kids in Korea and Oculus China who are, who are sitting there 
24 hours a day playing video games, Tinder, this is pornography, this is going out for a night in the town, everything packed into digitalization to the point where we may even be in one ourselves. But we're walking into it. This day will go unremembered, un, un except that we're putting it on the podcast when your kids came home and you played that game. Yeah, in 10 or 15 years' time, they will live there. They will probably work there. It's weird because you look at it and I kind of, I, like, I had, so, like I had that moment of going, we've talked about this and I'm kind of aware intellectually, like this, this is kind of scary. Happen. But then it happens. And as I'm thinking that, I realise actually it's not as bad as you think. Because there's so much more human stuff that's still there that you think is going to be magically fixed by this, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And then, like you mentioned, amongst the things that you're mentioning that people often mention is terrible things like Tinder. We met on Tinder, and I personally think Tinder is. No, I know, but I personally think Tinder is a perfect example where most people kind of go, "Oh, okay, it's ruined how people talk to each other," and I go, "Oh, okay." We're also saying that we didn't like how things were before. We didn't like uh, how women were intimidated. We didn't like that there was a lack of consent. And I particularly like the whatever. Even if you find ourselves They're on the still internet, saying that today. but. More than ever. Yeah, but I, I would still go for like one of the positives has been the dating apps because it literally, it's a move forward in terms of consent. Right. It's easier for someone who doesn't quite know how to chat someone up, but it's like, okay, can we click, can we just kind of, it's kind of autis a little bit and says, I'm here to speed date if somebody would like to have a go. And then yes or no, fine. So there are some things that we kind of view as kind of dystopian and strange, but actually I kind of go, mm, is but it I'm not actually thing, saying it's dystopian. I'm saying the world is moving here. Mm. Of its own accord. It's not being forced. It's because it's cool. And everybody will be in this thing. And the world outside is showing signs of giving up on us anyway. Yeah, right? so we're going to, to sign up. So we're going to be... One solution to the climate change issue is that we all disappear online. Now, then you start thinking about things like Big Brother Chair, where you actually go every night into bed and you start talking to yourself hmm. and you start downloading your emotions and that becomes part of your avatar. And you end up with this situation where whether we like it or not... So there's loads of people who are going, oh, we should go out hiking. Why aren't we hiking more? Why aren't we out in the sun and You rain? can do that too. Well, you can't do that. That's going away because we're lazy. We're fundamentally lazy people. We can do that. No, we don't do it. No one does it. Like no, got, no, but we've got they, they obesity going through the yeah, but no one does. Obesity is going thing. through the going through the ceiling. Everyone is getting more and more unfit. But what got people in the past ten years? What got more people aside from COVID? Because the only thing you do is walk. What got more people out and about and walking and hiking? Pokemon Go. Yeah, but I know, and that's some somewhat dystopian. But the idea that what gets you back into nature into the real world is that you're and playing this online game. Oh, uh, you got no. a small percentage of us out for about three or four months, and then it died. But the Oculus but that's how I could like, see we could get no, people out again. What they're doing is they're taking, and I'm, I'm not saying there's a day, the, the day is working to what we're asking for. Mm. They're looking at Pokemon Go. What What is Pokemon Go? Pokemon Go is a collect competition. It's a game. It's a game thing that happens to be outdoors. You could be outdoors in the fucking metasphere collecting Pokemon mm. Go. This is what I'm saying. Oculus Rift when it came out, I was going, what the fuck is that? But they're just testing to make sure it worked. Google Glass... And they're now bringing all these things together to say, you know, you will basically be able to fuck somebody, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 in, in 1998, I wrote an article about this, that you will be able to be the, uh, instead of Ronaldo playing last night, it'll be me playing last night. It'll look like me and I'll yeah. be able to watch myself playing for Man United. There will be all of this stuff happening and we will 
and, and you know all of our all of our all of our bio information and all of yeah. our, our our manifesto will be held by somebody. And so anyone who's complaining about Facebook this or social media that we are moving, we're way past, we're way past that. Past you, I mean, you can boycott whatever you yeah. want. We're way yeah. past that. But I mean, I, and I agree with you. And it's kind of sometimes it's mind blowing to think where it's going. But then you also kind of go, if we were to go back two hundred years and to, to show them what we have today, like if our phone still worked and, and all of that. That would be terrifying to them. And if you had intellectuals 200 years ago, I love how I'm referring to us as intellectuals or inferring that we are. But if you had intellectuals... Easy. (laughs) Easy, Tiger. Uh, If you had intellectuals 200 years ago, having an awareness that, okay, we're going to have cars that can go wherever they want. It's going to be money just on magical cards. We're going to have every, like a library, with a library, a mega library with every piece of information. Um, And also you can see in reality, like even a hundred years ago, a film reel, anything you want, any song you want, there'll be a a way of recording it. You can hear it at any point you want. So imagine explaining the internet to somebody from a hundred or 200 years ago. They would go, wow, that's amazing. Where does that get worrisome? Oh, also we have like porn sites and stuff so you can watch Oh, well, that affects that people won't, won't have sex normally. Is that, how's that? So it's kind of no different to us going, mm. we can in virtual, in the virtual reality, we can have sex with whatever we want or we can be Ronaldo. You know, on the one hand, it's like, it's mind blowing and you can, you, you have to look at it and go, is this a good thing? Is this worrisome? But I'm not sure there's anything that's groundbreakingly different than all that we have today showing it to someone a hundred years ago. Well, there is in the sense. But it's different to us. No, no, there is in a sense that we're recreating existences to the point where we're wondering whether we're actually a creation would it have felt like that to them no no it wouldn't all we have is a fucking well someone johnny's got a car that backfires instead of horses look at johnny fucking you know everything creeps well the fact that everything creeps the the idea that that we can can, we can hide in in movies all day long we can order shit online things magically arrive we don't have to go well i know but i'm talking about like when someone invents the telephone. What the fuck? I'm talking to someone over in America. We can be with somebody the other side. We can First of all, we can travel anywhere in the world, COVID accepting. I can be in the yeah. room with somebody in a different time zone anywhere in the world. I can see them. I can talk to them. We can share a screen and watch the same stuff. That would have been kind of real scary out of this world stuff. So I'm trying to balance out because, yeah, I absolutely see the worry of where we're going and how cool it is, but also what effect is that going to have on humanity and, and the yeah. negatives? I'm with Elon Musk in this. Like, you just stop complaining about it. Like, I've got loads of friends Rolling. that go, mainly with kids, they go, oh, yeah, my kid, you know, as if it was good in your day. It wasn't good in your day. It is better now. Hmm. Whether it's better for good or worse, I don't know. Maybe we should all be agrarian. Maybe we should all stop fucking building shit. Yeah. And just go back and. Well, we're not going to continue to. That's not going to happen. Well, that comes but, down to progressive. But that's going to be. That's back to your point. We've got co ops. We can bring your milk there to a factory and we'll get, you'll get more money for it. Yeah. Okay. But like, we end up in a situation where this is a relentless march that no one's checking, no one's in charge of checking, and so we end up where we end up. And yeah. I predict we'll end up very similar to Futurama. We'll be brains in jars. And whether the brain is attached to a body that's actually in a bed or in a jar is moot. So you end up going, okay, so we will have more fun as a human being in a metaverse than we will ever have in the real life and yeah. that will be the trade-off. And tough shit if you're little well, kids. I have a new question grow now. Up as a, yeah. So, and I was obviously not a question so much as it. Observation. Yeah. So if we go Futurama and we become brains in jars, 
then well philosophy isn't going to stop uh, and schools of thought aren't going to stop at the moment a lot of countries are, are grappling with the idea of euthanasia so if we could fix everything if we could cure dementia if we could cure, cure all those things will the idea of euthanasia go away entirely i don't think so so what happens if there is a philosophical movement or a school of thought that says that 100 years is longer than we ever really expected to in the 2000s yeah. but most people kind of want to live to 100 most people if they're in a happy marriage whatever they kind of want to go together they want to make their plans everybody knew it was coming what if there was a movement towards that we can stay alive as long as we want but most people aimed for it. the same way most people hit 30 and they must be married and they want the house because right. we're as humans we do have this kind of programmed yeah program. it's like we have this but I don't know what the word is. You know, when you're writing a novel or a story, we've got this. Structure. Yeah, we've got this structure for for life that, and this blueprint that we want to follow. And I wonder if the schools of philosophy are, and thought and intellectualism are going to move with this idea, if we could be brains and jars, if we could live forever, if we can cure everything, where we decide that the natural course might have been 60 before, might have been 80, but we kind of like the idea of 100 and yes, something awful can happen to you, but generally most people can control that they will live to 100. But we realise after that point, it becomes too many generations behind us and it's not how we're meant to be. And So what if this became the thing? Like most people want to get married at 30, buy a house at 30, want to have had their two kids by 35. Most people want to retire by 60 if they could. Most people by 100 want to be winding down, but do so in the fashion that they wish to with their partner in tow. Like that could be a thing. That will be creeping as well. Like the, <clears throat> when life expectancy was 40 and someone lived to 80, it's like, oh, amazing. And then everyone lives till, till 80. And it's like, that's the way it is. We, we, we'll probably end up in the machine. We'll probably end up not having kids. We'll probably end up being able to manufacture. I mean, if you imagine if we're able to hold verbal, brilliant diaries and visual interpretation of people's lives in a machine, we can then press a button and randomly pick up a new person with all the existing kind of components oh of a previous person, ah. right? And so we'll end up probably, because actually the one thing that the earth doesn't need is us as shitting, eating machines, right? If the earth, for example, got rid of us, but still had us, if you know what I mean, in jars mm. or whatever, and we looked after the, the wildlife and the animals, we brought the earth back to what it was, We'd probably reinvent the dinosaurs then and bring yeah. them all back. And we would be probably sitting there. But you touched on something a second ago. So I, I love when we have these mad conversations. You come out with something that's like, for some reason, touched on something really simple. So my eldest is 11 and she's really smart. She loves a bit of history and all that. And your youngest is nine. Oh, fuck. You know, he's nine in a couple of weeks. Jesus, that's frightening. Um, nine, 11. Ah. <laughs> what I was doing there. Sorry, I missed that entirely. But so we were having a conversation about this program on Irish TV, which is called Reading in the Years, and it just shows clips from each year and it's all the news stuff. It's really cool, it's really well done. So we got talking about this, and I was like showing her some of them, and we were talking about how some years are better than others, yada, yada, yada. And we, I mentioned 9 11. And she kind of, she'd usually be like, she's smart, but she's slow to ask a question because she doesn't want to feel stupid. So, and then my mum must have said something about Twin Towers and she, and she, so she said, uh, this is really stupid, but I was like, no, no stupid questions. 9-11, Twin Towers, is that the same thing? And then I realised, right, 
because I would have assumed she definitely would have known all of this. She's a smart kid. And I realised she was born in 2010 and it's so much in our experience. It's such an obvious thing that everyone knows all about it that nobody probably stopped to actually explain it to the kids. (laughs) And she'd have been too embarrassed not to know it because of course you know it. It's like not knowing the alphabet and she's that kid. So I, I, I then find myself trying to give the quick version of the facts and all that kind of stuff. The cliff notes explained what happened. And so she said, I, I knew there was like a plane crash and it was like a building, a lot of people died. That's amazing. And then I went, okay, because what would have happened was she would never have admitted to not knowing it, but some teacher, some moon tour would have gone, oh, they're only little kiddies. Well, a plane crashed and lots of people died. Yeah. And so the only person who ever actually explained it to her was that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, hon, no, here's what happened. She and how did she take it? She was like, oh my God. That must, must have been have crazy. And I was like, this is, it's so funny because when I'm sitting here with Sean, like, and we're a generation apart, like the same age gap between you and me and me and Ada. So I was like, we have this conversation. You'd be surprised how often we have it with different dinner party companions and that. And it's always inter- entertaining. It's like, where were you for 9-11? And what happened? And what was right. it like? And all of this. So then we went inside and we started watching shit on YouTube. So I managed to find the second plane hitting and the moment of impact and we were watching all of these videos from people running from the clouds and going into underground car parks and yeah. trying to kick doors in and fight with each other and then we watched this documentary with all of the uh, voicemails that were left behind mm. and it was just like it got a bit dour eventually mm. but she was fascinated because, and I was like this is a, probably the biggest thing that happened in history in my lifetime and she knew about it but she never knew enough about it and she was too embarrassed to ask about it and she was like, just, wow, imagine that, and put herself in the position. And then I realized that I was only about, about maybe a year older than her when it happened. And I was like, so where we were in the world, why it was such a big deal was it was the first big, huge thing that happened that where everybody had Sky News. Everybody had satellite dishes at that stage. Yeah. It wasn't, lots of people did 10 years previous. It was the first huge news thing that happened where everyone was on live TV at all times. And it's different now because at now you'd be straight onto Twitter and yeah. But she had just been too embarrassed to ask. The 9-11, and let's not forget, you know, like, let's not be afraid to say this, that when 9-11 happened, in many Muslim countries around the world, people were dancing with joy in the streets. And people go, oh, yeah, it's because it was American foreign policy. I don't care. There were 3,000 people killed. And I don't. I know American foreign policy is up its hole, mm. okay? I, I'm in no way defending American foreign policy. But, you know, there was Islamic terrorism went on. We're not even allowed to say that because all it was, oh, I'm offended yeah. by and then the other one, did you hear? Did you hear the one, the guy over Pennsylvania plane, where he said, "Right, well, let's do this." Yeah, the the, the one where they're going to storm the cockpit of the plane. Yeah, yeah. The, that, that was so funny because I have this bad it's habit, right? I, I, yeah. So th- this actually came up yesterday. So I was doing that. She's like, "Well, what happened?" And I was like, "Look, you know the way America shoves their fucking nose in everywhere. Yeah. Like any time there's a bit of oil going, they'll fucking shove a fucking." American flag in that pan. Yeah. You couldn't fry an egg, but they'll show a flag in that pan. We've discovered oil. Let's bring you democracy. And she's like, yeah. And I said, okay, people don't fucking take kindly to that. And I was like, basically nothing happened on their turf since Pearl Harbor. Well, they fucking brought it to their turf. And that's what happened. And it was a great excuse for the Iraq war. Yada, yada, yada. But so she hears that. But then we're, then we're like actually watching it. And we're, she's fucking bawling, crying with all the... Yeah. And, and, and I'm also kind of going... Yeah. yeah, and even rewatching it, I was fucking crying last night. Yeah. Kind of going, just what? So, I mean, the fact that American policy doesn't make it okay, we're not saying it didn't matter. But so she's like, so how many? And I'm kind of googling, realizing how much we forget. And I was like, so there's there was this, and then there's pen- the, yes, and there was the Pentagon. Oh, sorry, were there, she goes, sorry, fuck it. Were there two oh, planes? 
were there two were there two planes? I go, yeah, there are two planes. So so I looked it up and I was like, well, at this time that and that makes sense because it was lunchtime for me. And so I was kind of looking up the actual facts because I lived through it, so I never actually had to study it. So it was interesting to study it to somebody who just didn't know and wanted to know what it meant. And then I was like, should they, then there was the other one. And what happened there is they landed in a field. That was the one in Pittsburgh or somewhere in there. Pennsylvania. Um, they landed in a field because Crashing. they were headed for the capital and they stormed the cockpit and yeah. crashed, which is so heroic and it's yeah. so gorgeous. Her, and, well, I mean, and she was like, oh, hero. Maybe to bring the podcast full circle uh, as we start a new year. Imagine if 9-11 happened today with the social media, with the hoax, with the conspiracy theories. I mean, there was still a conspiracy going on that Americans jury-rigged the buildings in New York. Bush wanted to damage his own citizens, to cause a war. Wanted an excuse for Iraq. It was all one of the biggest conspiracies, and that the buildings were brought down by bombs, and you can see the bombs going off. And that the, the there was no plane debris found in the Pentagon. It was all you know. There pe- Imagine what that'd be like today. Mm. It'd be absolutely fucking mayhem, because there's everyone has a little Twitter loud hair, yeah. and the louder people like Ivor Cummins shout and Donald O'Neill in their documentaries about bullshit, the more people are susceptible to it. Believe mm. it, not helped by the way by the Guardian and CNN and all those. So we're not we're not saying you have to listen to all them. But this is the problem of the world that we live in today. But also, kids. Not this being re- this reminds me of when when around the time I first met you, I remember having this discussion, and some of your friends were like anti Facebook and all that, and there was the worry of where that's going. And I made the point at the time that basically what we're seeing is a more egalitarian society to an extent in that everybody gets a soapbox. Mm, that doesn't work however I remember saying at the time however the ancient Greeks would say (laughs) I I did say at the time I can remember we finish each other's sandwiches or as as Glenn Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein the late the soon to be late Glenn Maxwell and the late Jeffrey Epstein finish each other's sentences there are a couple of the year 2021 Um, Gislaine yeah but in fairness I did say now the ancient Greeks would say that's a bad idea that not every fuckwit deserves an equal fucking and that has turned out to be true. Well, you have a, we have a bell curve of intelligence, whether we like it or not. Now, come here. I have a present for us from my eldest. She, she and I have a be... present for your eldest. Ah, excellent. To finish the podcast. So you go well, first. Well, I said, have you, I was like, anything? We're, we're doing our, our annual Hoot Nanny, our little podcast. And I was about to leave. She goes, I have a thought for you. She goes, what? And she says, you know the way this year went really fast? And I was like, No. No, I don't. It was a fucking cunt to be here. You know the way it flew in? And she was winding me up because I always give out about when, when you're pregnant, people go, oh, that pregnancy flew in. You go, did it fucking fly in for you, did it? Uh, but she goes, you know the way it flew in, being facetious? And I was like, right, go on. She said, but I looked it up and it turns out it actually did pass faster than other years because the earth is currently spinning slightly faster than usual. And the average day in 2021 is 0.05 milliseconds shorter than it had been. So... There's our fact. Didn't it fucking fly in? It did fucking fly in. And from the mouth of babes as ever. Right. I think that's a podcast. Happy New Year to everybody. I'm going to leave with a gift for her eldest, who is a bit like her mother, a bit of a staunch feminist. There's a great, uh, there's a sad death on Christmas Day, actually. Um, someone who was big in my life when I was growing up, Janice Long. She was Keith Chegwin's sister, which I only found out today when I did a bit of research on it. Janice Long was the first ever female DJ in Britain and she was the first to present Top of the Pops 
when she was the first to have a late night show on Radio 1. And she also co-hosted Live Aid. And she died at 66 on, I think, Christmas Day. And we're going to leave you. If, if we've, is there anything I else? I think that's I it. I think that's a podcast. I hope any of you who've joined, and, you know, I, I hope there's not many of you, but any of you who've joined to listen to us who are on their own or lonely, um, I hope that we've brightened up your evening for you. <laughs> New Year's are, uh, are, for me and the Don, just, they're not as they're a bit like Valentine's Day. They're just manufactured things. It's just another year starting, just another day. They can be very hard, though. Like, I don't really give a shit hard. about them, yeah. but I, I did want to jump in there. Like, I'm happy and I'm okay, but I had a lot of years where I wasn't okay and I didn't give a shit about New Year's, but it's just one of these, you know, it's one of these times for reflection and all that. And that can be really hard if you're going through the shits and yeah. where is my life going and all that kind of stuff. It can be a very lonely time. And to be honest, no one's having a great New Year. You know, if anyone's listening to us shiting on and got some company out of it, then great. And I hope 2022 is slightly less shit. And I echo those sentiments. Uh, have a great 2022. 2021 was worse than 2020. And as someone said on the pot, on the internet today, remember when we all thought 2016 was oh, terrible? Oh, that was so funny. I forgot to ask you, any New Year's resolutions? Well, I'm, I'm giving up the booze uh, either t- Monday uh, or Wednesday because my sister might come over with her husband on Tuesday. And I couldn't handle having a night with those two without drinking. Just kidding, Carolyn. And I'm also, I think it's high time I gave up the cigarettes, so I'm going to go back in there and see what I can do. Um, That's scaring me a little bit, and I'll see how I manage it. But I think the time has come. I'm 54 next birthday, and you're a lot younger than me, and if I'm going to be around, I need to probably stop smoking. Will you be seeking any support for that? Um, I'm still working on it. I have a couple of apps downloaded and stuff like that, but we'll see how it goes. And and there's enough. <laughs> Explain Quicklit then. Quitlet. Quitlet is Quitlet is a new thing. It's possibly the word of 2022 before 2022 starts properly. Quitlet is like Sean said that to me today. I don't know where he came across it, but it's this new term. Which is uh, it should have been come up a long time ago. Yeah, like Alan Carr. All that stuff. Yeah. So all all the books to help you quit stuff. Quit quit Quitlet. Can you get stuck into the quitlet? Sounds like a not to be talking about part of a female anatomy. Exactly. Anyway, speaking of females, Janice Long, legend You didn't ask me. Okay, sorry. It's like it's all about you now, <coughs> isn't it? Never have any news Well I do this year, I'm gonna become a binfluencer. Oh, binfluencer, that's right. This is the other the other word of of twenty twenty two. You hear you heard it here first, folks. This is why you tune in after an hour and a half of us warbling. Quitlet and... Binfluencer. And Binfluencer is basically that you're the first one on the road to have the bins out. You're that person that they look out the window and go, she got the bins out. Oh, she has. Oh, it's bin day. Was the bank holiday? No, she has the bins out. Is the black one or is the green one? So I want to be that person that has my shit together. No, in truth, I actually do have other stuff up my sleeve, but I don't want to jinx it because it would be pressure for me. But I am getting my shit together this year in a big way. But I'll start with the Binfluencing. Been there, done that. <laughs> We're going to close with Janice Long introducing, introducing U2's first appearance on Top of the Pops in 1983, which you believe nearly 40 years ago. Their first song to, to break the British top 10 
We all know the song. It's appropriate for today. We'll see you in 22. And thank you all for your support. Bye. Bye. And they've plenty of reason to celebrate, even though we celebrated it 20 days ago. It's you too in at number 23 and New Year's Day.